Grow CFO is where finance leaders grow together. Join thousands of like-minded professionals using Grow CFO to access the combined knowledge and experience of the finance leader community. You can join us today at growcfo.net. Hello and welcome to the Grow CFO Show. I'm your host, Kevin Appleby, and today my guest is Alex Triplett. And Alex is here to talk all about hybrid work and how do you make hybrid work work for you. So welcome to the Grow CFO Show, Alex. Thank you so much, Kevin. Pleasure to be here. Alex, before we get into the meat of the subject, tell the audience just a little bit about you. What's your background and what do you do now? Love to go into it, Kevin. So I started my career in investment banking, spent a couple of years at Citigroup, went to private equity, spent four years at TA Associates, growth private equity firm focused on enterprise software. I then determined that I would be a better investor and better professional if I understood how a company really worked. And so I wanted to get on the operating side. I went and joined a portfolio company of TA called Ion Group, a small fintech software company. And I ran corporate development and then ended up running some of their divisions as well. And we grew the business from 600 people and 100 million of revenue in 2010 when I joined to 3 billion of revenue and 12,000 people in 2022 when I left. Wow. So quite a rise. I was responsible for all the acquisitions that we made during that time. And we acquired 22 businesses and spent 15 billion in capital. I was running one of our divisions that sold treasury and commodity management software to corporations. And really enjoyed all of that progress and both the horizontal corporate development role and the vertical CFO and operating role. And decided that I wanted to take another chapter and join AppFire, where one of the key attractions for me, and I'm sure we'll talk about it, was culture. First value at AppFire is be human. Major, major way that the business is run. And the second was... Ion is a very successful company, but we were more focused on cash generative businesses, slower growth. And at AppFire here, we're quite fast growing, still cash generative. And so I wanted to be part of that because I think we could have a fantastic story over the next decade being a fast growth enterprise software company. So CFO, COO, and I've been here for 16 months. But what exactly does AppFire do? Yeah, we are the world's leading provider of next generation apps that enhance, augment, extend, and connect the world's leading platforms like Atlassian or Microsoft or Salesforce or Monday. We serve over 15,000 customers from JP Morgan to Apple to Daimler. And every day, those customers have knowledge workers, primarily developers or IT, that are using these platforms like Microsoft or Salesforce or Atlassian to get their work done. And the platform doesn't do every single thing that the knowledge worker wants. Same as your phone, it is enhanced with apps. And typically, it's our apps. And so we might make workflow more seamlessly. We might enhance reporting. We might automate a function. We might connect platforms together. We've got over 100 apps in the portfolio, and they serve a wide variety of knowledge workers. And they can do anything from help you plan or help you deliver or help you report or help you share. And it's just a fabulous business. And we're really proud to have grown the business significantly in the last couple of years. But you're independent from Atlassian, Salesforce, Microsoft, so on. Just working We are. We are. We try to just enhance the value of that platform. And so the platforms typically have an app marketplace, like Apple has the App Store or Google has Google Play. And the platforms love it because when they have that app marketplace, they are showing customers, I, the platform, can't get to everything that you need, but I acknowledge there are things that you do need and they might be quite painful. 
I'm going to allow for the community of app providers like us to provide those solutions to you. Yeah. And so we are really partners to the platform. And most of the platforms will say quite publicly that we make their platform more sticky because we allow the customer to tweak and tune and customize the platform with our apps to their specification. Yeah. And one of those companies that you've mentioned there, Atlassian, I'm a, a great user of their Trello product. And that's a typical product that has loads and loads of plugins by separate companies. And it's that that makes the application so great, so flexible. Now, from a basic Kanban system, you can make it do all sorts of really, really clever things. I love it. Absolutely. Yeah. But you talked about joining AppFi because of its culture. Tell me a little bit more about the sort of culture that you look for, you like working in. Yeah, my big revelation in working at Ion and in working at AppFire is even in technology, and it's as true in manufacturing, healthcare, and financial services, we are producing product or providing a service for customers, but ultimately people are behind that. And you can automate things, you can enhance or supplement what a human can do with AI. And those things do happen, right? Progress happens, change happens. And I believe all of those things are good, but nothing beats a human connection. And that's what I was really looking for. And the thing that we strove as we grew through acquisition at ION, we strove to bring people together and align them on one single mission. And what I found with AppFire is our founder had really done that. Had he been doing that for 15 years, the first value is be human. Everything is around when we add fireflies, which we call our people on as we hire them, we're trying to make sure that they fit as a human. When we acquire businesses, which we do from time to time at AppFire, we're trying to make sure that it's, it's people that fit because we want to make sure that they weave into the fabric of what we do as a business. And humans can produce great things together. They collaborate as teams. They collaborate as units, as departments. And that's what I was really looking for, a human-first company. And it seems funny to say that, and I think almost every company on earth would tell you that they're human-first, but there's a difference in talking the talk versus walking the walk. And that is what I saw at AppFire when I met folks before I ultimately joined. Yeah, and I really do get what you're talking about, having worked in a human-first culture. So now I... I'm a bit long in the tooth now. My memory goes back to the consulting company that I first joined, Coopers and Librand, later yeah. part of BWC. And that was such a people-first culture in the consulting business in Coopers. And then later I joined a much smaller consultancy, but it had just been taken over by the former lead of the UK consulting business. Mm -hmm. And he was trying to create the same culture in a much smaller organization. It was real fun to work in. But I suppose th this takes us to the, the subject that we're talking about today. If we're looking at humans working mm -hmm. together, doing great stuff as teams, how do we make hybrid work work? Yes, that's the magic question. Uh, the, the interesting perspective that we have is we have been hybrid ever since inception. Our founder has been a key proponent, and this goes back to the mid-2000s, of wanting to work where he wakes up, wanting to be flexible, to focus on the output and not focus on having to clock in, clock out. 
And that's just the way that he's run his life. And that has really permeated through the culture and the way that we run the organization. So in the US, we are completely remote, although we do have what we call hubs or you know, touchdown spots. And then in the European offices that we have, and in India, we are essentially remote flexible. So we do have office locations around the globe, but we are not prescriptive on how often folks go into those offices. And the way that we've made all this work is number one, it's an attitude. So flexibility above all else. We wanna make sure that people are able to attend to what they need to in their personal lives, to where they can have that foundation that we all seek to have with home to allow them in the springboard into work and do their best work. And that's number one, the flexibility. So the culture permeates the flexibility that we afford folks. And then we do need to acknowledge that humans are social creatures. You cannot replace in-person interaction. You just cannot, as good as the digital tools are today. And so we do make space for meeting in those hubs that I mentioned. So I'm in a hub right now in New York at a WeWork, where I like to go and, and interact with my colleagues because that's just how I work. A lot of other people in the U.S., they like to work from their home office. They may have more space than we have here in the city. A lot of folks in our Polish office like to go in a couple of days a week. In India, they like to go in a couple of days a week. In Bulgaria, they like to go in every day. In Spain, they like to go in most days. In Switzerland, they like to go into some days. So it really just varies from place to place. And the other thing that we try to emphasize, every department gets together once a year. So in my finance and operations department, I have roughly 45 people. On the operations, legal, and infosec side, I have roughly 50 people. And every year, once a year at least, those departments get together. And it's the same for all the other departments in the globe. So first is, it's a culture and an ethos that kind of permeates down, starting from our founder. It's the flexibility we have for people. But then it's also the fact that the office spaces or the locations we have, we call them hubs and they're for gathering as much or as little as you want. But then we do try to make sure that every department gets together at least once a year. So you are getting that cultural touchdown. Okay. So think about your particular team, finance team. You've got, did you say 50 people roughly? Roughly speaking, yes. Where globally are those 50 people located? Yeah, great question. So I'll start with the US. We have my head of audit in Anchorage, Alaska, my head of tax in San Francisco, my head of FPNA in San Francisco, head of payroll in Portland. I've got a couple of folks, my chief accounting officer in greater New England area. I've got some folks in Florida. I've got some folks in Denver, Texas, Oklahoma. I've got folks in Bulgaria, India, Poland. I've got a large squad there. The woman that runs international finance is in Poland. I've got some folks in Spain. And we try to make it a point to have cadence virtually and then cadence in person. And so given all those areas, the once a year department meeting, we did it in the US two years ago in Boston. We did it in Vienna just this past summer in June. That was fantastic. That's everybody. Everybody goes. And then for the leaders, what we try to do is we try to congregate the specific leaders of which there are about a half a dozen every quarter. And we typically tune it to where I have board meetings. And so if I've got a board meeting, which we'll do in Boston or San Francisco or Austin, Texas, or wherever, I'll get the finance leaders to come join me either before or after. So I get a time with the leaders. And then we try to encourage folks to visit other offices, depending on the nature of their work. So the gentleman that runs real estate and the woman that runs mobility and experience, they're going to go around to each of the offices 
as we're going through a branding exercise here in the not too distant future. That sounds a really interesting way to work. But you say today you're in the New York hub. So you're there, but there's nobody else from your team there. Nobody else from my team. I've yeah. got my head of product growth, my head of data insights, and one of the gentlemen that works in corporate development right outside the door here. They come right. into the New York hub every two to three, probably two to three days a week, I would say. It's just the folks that live in the greater New York area. But we've got this space on offer. And then to the extent that folks come into town, our founder comes into town, our president comes into town, maybe our chief marketing officer comes into town, they've got a touch point. They've got a hub to come to. When they come into town, we can collaborate. Yeah. So when you're in the office, are you generally talking to people or are you sitting at a, a computer doing deep work? Yeah, great question. A lot of times where we want the use of the hub to lie is collaboration. We've yeah. got a whiteboard in the office. We are gathered around it. We are working on things together. We are meeting to focus on strategy or planning or something where it is possible to do it remotely or digitally, but it is not as optimal. Mm -hmm. And so that's typically what our focus is from a team point of view. If I need to do deep work, I can do it here. I can also do it from the home office. So it's a mix, but definitely the collaboration, for instance, but we're going to budget cycle. So we do budget planning from August to November. My kickoff meeting for the budget planning is tomorrow. My head of FP&A is flying in from San Francisco. He'll be here for a week. He happens to be here for a mix of personal and business. And he and I agreed, let's sit down for a couple of hours tomorrow and let's start to map out what we want to do. And then about a month from now, we're going to have all the department heads, mostly executive management, in person in a location to also kick off the budget process for a couple of days. So you mix and match that flexibility to work remotely and yeah. do what you do for your cadence or your deep work. But then when you really want to trigger a collaboration or catalyze a process or something of that nature, we emphasize bringing people together. Yeah, I totally get that. And I agree with that approach. It's very similar to the approach that my son's organization take, that it's kind of we're in the office once a week or twice a week to talk about stuff, to plan, to brainstorm together. You might as well not bring your laptop because we're not going to let you sit down and do any deep work. If you want to do that, you can do it at home in the rest of the week. Yeah, I really like that kind of balance because if all you're doing is going to putting a report together, analyzing some numbers, why waste an hour at the beginning of the day and an hour at the end of the day going to an office? You might as well stay at home and claim those two hours back for yourself. So. In your model, do you have sort of fixed working hours? Would you be expecting everybody to be working from nine to five? Absolutely not. And I love what you said about earning back or gaining back that commute and getting that hour or two back a day. And then that goes back into the flexibility around the work hours. I care most about output. And so if you can create or execute in five hours versus eight, Great. I just care about the output, the outcome for a customer or product or the way that we're going to market on some initiative, the way that we are handling things in the finance and operation side of the house. And the other thing that we want to emphasize is work. We do want it to be important, 
but we want you to proactively want to really be energized and excited about the work that you do. And part of that is letting it be woven into your personal life. If you have a dentist appointment or a doctor's appointment, if you need to drop your kids off, if you have something to attend to middle of the day, if you like to work out in the morning versus the middle of the day versus in the evening, if you just need 30 minutes to go walk around your neighborhood, do that because that just makes you a better person. It makes you more calm, more relaxed, more free. It allows you to attend to life, which comes first. Yes, work is important, but I can want it to be woven into life. So nine to five, if some people are morning people and I can tell who they are, some people are evening people, I can tell who they are. And that's totally fine. And so we can be flexible to schedule calls around or Zooms around whenever they typically do their best work. Yeah. When you're working at home, there's a trap you fall into that says, well, I'm only working if I'm sitting in front of this computer, tapping away the keyboard. (laughs) Whereas when you're based in an office, you arrive at, well, let's say for sake of argument, nine o'clock, you go home again at 5.30. Work is the period in between which could include having a chat with somebody across the room, going to the coffee machine, whatever might happen during that day. Probably my experience is only 50, 60% of it, you might be doing the deep work at your machine. Now, do you think we're in the hybrid model, we actually get ourselves into a little bit of a mess of people kind of almost doing too much at a keyboard? We do, and it's led to some of the... Symptoms that we saw particularly accentuated during COVID of of people burning out because to stare at a computer screen or to stare at a Zoom for 12 hours a day, it can be a lot. We also miss those sporadic moments of going to the coffee machine or passing people in the kitchen or passing people in the hallway. And one of the things that we've tried to do to make sure that we enable a culture that does have this flexibility, but doesn't sit, feel like when they are at home, they need to be tethered to their machine for 10 hours in a row is we try to set a lot of varied cadence. What I mean by that is, for instance, in the finance team, we have a weekly leaders call on Monday. We have a bi-weekly bigger sub-leaders call on Wednesday. And then we have a team call Thursday every month. And then from an executive point of view, we have an executive call every Wednesday. We've got a Ember or we call a management business review. We call it Ember because it's like a fire, like a spark. So everything is kind of woven into app fire. We have that every Thursday once a month. And then we've got a senior leaders call another Thursday once a month. And when you start to weave those cadence items in, a lot of those are less around doing and more around collaborating and listening and sharing. And so at least you're breaking up the times where you're just sitting on email or sitting on Slack or sitting in deep work. And then below the surface line, a lot of folks emphasize one-on-ones. I have one-on-ones every week with my direct reports. So I have six one-on-ones a week, 30 to 45 minutes a piece. And I try to make sure that that's not about execution. Sometimes we just talk about life. How are you doing? How are you feeling? What's going on? And you try to make sure that there's enough of that woven throughout the work week. And then we hope that the magical passing in the hallway moments can either be sometimes created in Slack with a quick collaboration. So we can huddle with somebody for five or 10 minutes, or they can be recreated when we do get together that once a year or once a quarter, or like in the New York hub where we're the four of us are together two or three days a week, which frankly on the whiteboard magic does happen when we're together. 
So you've just got, you put in a lot of cadence, you put in a lot of a variety of different types of meetings. So you really do get someone switching into either a more kind of social collaborative brainstorming mode of work versus then a deep work. Yeah. Do you feel though that you get to know the people in your team well enough, Alex? And you're in the office, say five days a week, there's that coffee machine. Now you talk about all sorts at the coffee machine. You find out about people's families. You find out about their football teams. You talk about the result of last night's game. You talk about what's happening personally. You talk about the kids, whatever. And there's a lot of fairly random conversation going on that kind of you organize a meeting over Zoom, but then there's always an agenda. So there's always a fixed kind of conversation pattern going on. Do you feel as though you miss out on knowing people better? You can. I don't feel like I do. And I'll tell you why. Part of the culture of Baptire the Be Human, we emphasize when we get together as groups that at least 50% of the time, it is simply social. And so the good example is the Vienna trip that we had, where it was three days, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of quote unquote sessions. People came in early, left late. So there's Mondays and Fridays. People could have done what they wanted to do. But we really only had one day, which was the Tuesday where we had a full agenda. And we had a dinner that night. And then Wednesday, half day, complete social for the afternoon, dinner that night. Thursday, half day, complete social for the afternoon, dinner that night. And so it's making sure that when we get together, we leave plenty of space for exactly what we're talking about. The walks to and from dinner. I form a bond with people, learn about who they are, where they grew up, what they're about, what they like, what makes them tick. And I can tell you some wonderful stories for you about people that had just joined the team and I really got to know them. And then my one-on-ones, like I say, I've got for my directs, it is all about what's going on in their life. Who are they? Are they happy? Are they sad? Are the kids going through something? Are the parents going through something? What's new? What's changed? And you've just... You've got to be intentional, a little bit more intentional with it. I would also say that even in an office environment, at ION in New York, we had two floors, 300 people. I probably saw the same 10 or 15 people, mostly who sat near where my space was. And you got to know them a little bit. But if you weren't intentional about it, even when you were at the water cooler, you may not have had those deeper conversations. So I feel like if you are intentional and you mix in enough when you get together in person, and you really carve out and make it all about the people and not about getting things done. And then when you're doing your one-on-ones, your your engagement with Zoom, some of the meetings you have, you just don't have an agenda. The agenda is, let's talk. Yeah, I like that model. I really do like that model. But you've got offices, you've got people located all over the place. Mm-hmm. You're talking about bringing your leaders to you and you've got board meetings in various locations. You talk about the departmental get-togethers somewhere on the globe. That's mm-hmm. a lot of people moving about. So what about cost of doing hybrid work this way? Yeah. It, it costs any more or does it cost less? No, You've yeah. clearly saved office space because you don't need a desk for everybody. But it, the flip side is a lot of travel. Yeah. The estimate that I have is for every dollar that we save with not having offices in every location that we have a critical mass, which I define as 10 people or more, we probably pay 30 cents 
in additional travel. So if I go through the entire company, we have the most fireflies in the US gathered around the greater New England area. And there we actually, ironically enough, are building a hub. We are intentionally not calling it an office, it's a hub. Yeah. And it's going to be mostly open space, mostly rooms, collab boards for folks to have their department meetings or for us to bring customers or partners or investors or whomever. But it's really about that collaboration. It's going to be very experiential. So that hub, though, is going to still not move the office and expenses that much, despite it being a fairly large space. And then we've got 10 or more people in Orlando, Denver, Vancouver. And so there, if I had chosen to have offices there, I'd probably be paying, I don't know, somewhere on the order of, on a combined basis, maybe a million dollars a year. And the travel for those folks to go in various places is probably 30% of it. That's been my estimate. Yeah. And then as I expand the scope of all the 750 fireflies and I go into the 26 countries that they're in, and think about my flight and travel costs and not having a maximum office space in, for instance, Switzerland or Poland, where I could have bigger space, what I have saved there in space, I've typically paid 30 cents to travel. But I feel like that is well worth it because the energy you unlock for people going to different places, the pleasure that folks have in traveling for work. In most companies, only the executives travel. And most of the folks that would have gone to the office five days a week, they didn't get that opportunity once in a while. For us, you're going at least once a year, if not more, you have a huge benefit. And the energy you unlock and the excitement you unlock, it's just, it's a real benefit. So yeah, my rule of thumb is 30 cents on the dollar. That's a good return. Very good return. But is there not a danger there? For all as a culture that says this is the way we work, if cash gets tight, isn't the first thing people are going to look at the travel budget because that's easy variable cost. It could be. And so one of the things that you've got to do is you've got to look at your people are fixed, your quote unquote office costs are fixed. And then we apportion our travel in essentially three different buckets. So bucket one is it's events related to customers or partners. Yeah. And that one typically is pretty sacred. The second is it's the annual get-together, so the department meetings, the board meetings. We have a holiday party in six locations, so everyone's in invited with a plus one, which is quite unusual, and that's a big deal for us as well. So in theory, actually, holiday party plus department party, you're getting together twice a year. Yeah, And those we wouldn't touch. And the third are the variable. So it, it's events that aren't high on the list, or it could be maybe smaller get-togethers that we may decide aren't as important. It's the third that I would touch, the first two I wouldn't, and we specifically categorize them that way. And then, of course, if I had a cash shortage or of some kind or a cash tightness of some kind, I'd look at all the various consulting or maybe vendor spend. But I wouldn't touch that because I would treat that part of travel, and I do treat that part of travel essentially as office and life. Yeah, that's a really good, encouraging approach. I like the way you've segmented that out. To make hybrid work work properly, you need good technology. So you've mentioned Slack, you've mentioned Zoom. Are those the only things that you use to make this work? Ooh, great question. Not the only thing. So in no particular order, definitely we are a Slack and Zoom shop. And 
We also try to differentiate the use of Slack, which I consider a, a cultural tool and a quick one-to-one or a wide dissemination one-to-many tool versus email, where if you want something deeper or structured, we typically put it in email. So you've got that separation. Yeah. And there's a lot of fun channels that we have on Slack, Pets of AppFire, Fun Random. These are some really cool channels that there's a lot going on <laughs> yeah. with those, as you can imagine. Zoom, quite prolific there. But some of the other tools, we have started to really put an emphasis on learning and development. And so we've got something called AppFire University. We run it on Dechibo, the learning platform. It's embedded into our Workday platform. And so one of the things that we do there is there's opportunities to attend university courses. Typically, we'll do leadership training where the kickoff is in person and then the coursework can be virtual or online. We will do through the Workday platform a lot of praise. So you can allow people to really give credit and kudos to folks that impacted them positively. And there's something that comes up every single day. And then as you can imagine, one of our partners being Atlassian, we're heavy users of Confluence. And so a lot of what we do is anytime we've got a new hire, we've got a Confluence board, we've got ways to comment there. We've got a lot of information and collaboration going on in Confluence, huge, huge important tool for us. On the work side, Jira from Atlassian is very important. We use Monday and Asana for project management as well. We're a big Salesforce shop across the board. From the finance department, we're a big Microsoft shop. So we collaborate all the time on SharePoint and Excel and Word and PowerPoint. So all of these tools allow for work to get done in a highly collaborative manner. And just mentioning a couple of those, going back to kind of Microsoft example, a lot of what we do on the finance side is we can have multiple people in the same document working alongside each other. And we could have work sessions where we work in a document while we are on Zoom, or we could have a collaboration going on in Confluence while we work on Zoom. So the tools are highly critical and it's quite intentional, the tool set that we built up. They're encouraged for multiple people to engage at the same time. Sounds fantastic. Alex, I dare say a lot of folk will have been listening to this and thinking, gosh, that sounds like a great working environment sounds like a great culture, but the upfire is a million miles away from where I am. How would you start going down that journey? What would your first steps be to set up the sort of culture that you're working in? Mm. Yeah, for me, everything just starts with architecture. You want to have a vision, rough framework, sketch it out. What are we trying to achieve? Where are my folks located today? What are their patterns? Where do I think my folks will be located in five years? Or where do I think my company will be in five years? What will be those patterns? And if you start with that architecture of understanding the parameters of what you're solving for, then think about how you want the model to help you solve for that. So if you want it to be very much remote first, if you want it to be hybrid flexible, if you have office space today and you will keep that, if you want to transform that office space, So really, I would start with the architecture. At first, it's the humans I have and their work patterns and the humans I think I'm going to have in the future and what their work patterns can be. What do I think I want to enable? It's the physical space that I have today or I don't have and what I want to enable around that. And then once you've got those two, you can fill in the blanks. But I think it's it's that architecture. And then as you go through the action of the how, after you frame kind of the what and why with the humans and the physical, that how is, how do I weave in a cadence? How do I weave in a cadence of engagement that's not just about execution, but it is about human connection? 
Yeah, that sounds like absolutely great advice. I'd say to anybody who's thinking about hybrid work, making it work really well, and I dare say a lot of the people that are listening have started doing this sort of thing because of lockdown, because of COVID, but haven't necessarily taken it on culturally the way you have, because that culture at AppFire was there well before any of that. And I dare say you survived lockdown pretty transparently and not much different going on. Perhaps a little less of the physical get-togethers for a while, but other than that, I imagine it was pretty much business as usual. And you didn't have to think too much about it. Now, I think there are a lot of lessons to be taken there. Get the culture right. Get out of the having to have agendas in Zoom meetings for a start and allow people to talk to each other. That, I think, is one of the big ones. Yeah. So. Alex, tell me a little bit about some of the management techniques that you've got to use in this model. Yeah, Kevin, great question. One of the things that I have noticed in more of the hybrid model is you've really got to focus in when you're engaging on not just who's talking or who's present, but their emotions and what they're showing up with or as. And I'll give you a great example when we're in the annual department meetings, a lot of my time is spent sitting back and just understanding what's the mood of folks? Do I think that they're switched on? Do I think that they're aligned to the vision of what we're doing? Do I think that they're happy and feeling passionate about their work? And when we do those monthly get-togethers on Zoom, oftentimes it's not me talking. This is a big thing for me is I want to empower my leaders to be the ones having the platform and having the voice. It allows me to sit back and see who's engaged. Does everybody have their camera on? If you don't have your camera on, okay, that's a question. If you've got your camera on, you seem to not be checked in. What's going on with that? And you've really got to make it a point of emphasis to tune in even more than you did when you were in person. Because when you were in person every single day, you kind of felt like you did, but you probably actually weren't. Here in, in hybrid, I think it's kind of a benefit if you're really, really trying to tune in as a leader. When you get in person or when you're on the Zoom calls or when you're on one-on-one, what's the emotion? How are people taking it? Or in short groups, small groups, who is really engaged, who's not engaged? And you've got to be able to see these types of things coming earlier. So that's my point of emphasis is really to kind of pay attention to body language, which you can pick up remotely or virtually or certainly in person in your get-togethers. That's the big management technique for me because you want to be able to like a good leader, you want to be able to find out where people are feeling a bit tighter, a bit stuck, or not necessarily passionate. And you want to catch that early. And so you've got to be tuned in to body language. Yeah, that's definitely something for me, that you're in the office, somebody's having a bad day. You can generally tell somebody's having a bad day, as you say, because of the body language. You're on a Zoom call. That person's not the one talking. They're not likely to be the one that the camera is therefore focusing on. So that to me is the number one difficulty. Now, look at all of the team, not just the ones that are speaking. But another side of that could be there's something going on in a person in your team's life, which means that actually this morning they're not at their desk at home. They're off sorting something out. If that person was normally in the office, you'd notice they were missing. And you'd possibly want to check up and say, what's up? Can we help? Whatever. 
if they're working remotely anyway and they've gone and done that, you've probably never noticed that they're missing. How do you cope with that sort of situation? Yeah, I do try to do check-ins from time to time, seemingly randomly, just to see how people are doing. A lot of times my favorite check-in is three months after someone's joined, just to say hi. I like to, after we've done a big project, do a retrospective and check in with folks and try to not do it in a intimidating way. Because sometimes if the CFO says, hey, do you want to catch up? People go, oh no, (laughs) what do they want? I just want to chat. And so a lot of times it's really about doing those seemingly random kind of one-on-one check-ins. And then also in my one-on-ones, I talk to my leaders, how's your team? How are people feeling? Because they themselves are having their one-on-ones with folks with the same kind of idea, show up for 30 minutes, 45 minutes a week and just talk. And so I get a lot of that with my leaders. It's my standing last question of every one-on-one is, how's the team? How are people feeling? How are they doing? Where can I help? So that's the way that we address it. Yeah. I suppose the other one on a similar vein, that is my challenge. And you've got a junior member of the team. You're giving them work to do to get on with. They get Mm. stuck. Mm -hmm. They don't always call for help. But you're next to them in the office. You kind of intuitively know that they're stuck. Yeah. How do you cope with that one? A lot of times you have a sense of how long it might take somebody to do something. And also maybe you got to have a sense of things that they could get stuck on because you once upon a time probably got stuck there too. Yeah. And that's the, you can say when you give the task, ask me anything. And I try to do, instead of chasing someone up, where is this? Gentle check-in. Hey, anything you can help with? Happy to do a pre-read, happy to look through. This is a difficult one. Let me know. Those kinds of things. If you try to ease the tension and bring the degree of difficulty to ask for help down. Mm. And rather than really checking up on where's the work, it's more here to help. Anything I can do, let me know. And they know that I'm checking in in that way, but they also, it makes them feel a little bit more at ease. But typically, you know, I gave somebody something, we established a deadline three days from now. I know it's probably going to take them four. They agreed to three. I cautioned them not to. Let me check in on day two. So that's just part of the fabric as well. But I would say interesting thing will be, because you and I grew up having that experience in offices, for a generation that maybe doesn't have that, do you lose that intuition in 10 to 15 years? I don't know. Interesting question. Guess we could wait a little while to find out. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not planning to be working in 10 or 15 years time. Don't know about you. We'll see. I do like waking up and getting myself busy, but it may be different things. We'll see. We'll see how good we do a, a job at Outfire. Well, likewise, that's the issue to me to stop working. Hmm. What would I do instead? Because I do like doing the stuff that I'm doing. And if I wasn't working for Grow CFO, I wouldn't be talking to you today. There you go. And it's things like that that would suddenly become a miss. Yeah. So, Alex, thank you for being this week's guest on the Grow CFO show. My pleasure, Kevin. Thank you very much. 